Welcome to Curveball Defied. On today's podcast, we have the pleasure of having Mark Bishop. Mark has a bachelor's degree in management information systems from Rutgers Business School. And in the beginning of his career, he worked for Bloomberg as a senior account manager. In today's podcast, we will learn how he was able to become a great leader and establish his position as CEO of Joyfully, a company that empowers users to share whatever's on their mind with people that understand the world they live in. Thank you so much, Mark, for coming on to today's podcast. We want to get started and talk a little bit about your background and the early years. Absolutely. Hey, thank you for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure. So when I was younger, you know, I'm from New Jersey and my mother, she is a French teacher, public school teacher in New Jersey. So we were fortunate when I was 14 to go live in France for a year because she won a Fulbright grant. So when I was there, look, I didn't speak French. I didn't know anybody there. So, and I wanted to make friends, right? Because every teenager wants to, wants to make friends at the end of the day. So I, over time, I, I got to learn the language. I made a lot of friends. And honestly, what it did was it taught me a lot of empathy about people who come to new countries where they're not the native speakers of the language that they're, they're living in, or excuse me, they're not native speakers of the language of the country that they're living in. So from there, like, like you said, uh, came back to the States, uh, finished high school, went to Rutgers University. I did seven internships during my time in college. I also drove an ice cream truck while doing an internship one summer. I worked at LaCroix during that summer. Excuse me, not to date myself or sound like a hipster or anything, but I worked at LaCroix before anybody even knew what that thing was. Nobody even, no one was drinking LaCroix when I was working there. So from there, uh, yeah, I worked on, on Wall Street at, at Credit Suisse as an intern. And then finally, as you said, I had the opportunity to work at, at Bloomberg at their headquarters in, in uh, Lexington Avenue. Saw Mike Bloomberg a number of times, met two different sharks from Shark Tank. I know you're a fan of Shark Tank. We were talking about yesterday. And yeah, you know, from, from there came to, to product after having founded a consumer direct a consumer brand called Afroroot CNA, which is a genetics ancestry test. And yeah, now working at, at Joyfully, building that with a, a really incredible team. We're, we're solving a really important issue that resonates with a lot of people. And I've probably taken up most of this interview just by answering that first question. So, uh, <laughs> see where it goes from here. No, no. I, well, let's start from the beginning. You said a lot there. We have to unpack it all. Uh, so, you mentioned that you went to Rutgers, but before you went to Rutgers, you went to community college. And going from a community college to Rutgers, did you have like a huge chip on your shoulders? And how did you act when you like like that whole? going to a school that's like one of the largest state schools from a community college. Like, did you have like that chip and how did you like interact with the people now that you had that edge? That, that's a great question. The answer is, I hate to admit, but yes, I, I definitely had a chip on my shoulder because I'll tell you guys this, this is something I don't really talk about too much, but when I was in high school, I, yes, I lived in France for a year. I definitely struggled to, I think, readjust back to the American school system and my grades in high school were not that great, to be completely honest with you. I didn't apply myself as much as I would have liked to. So when I decided to go to community college, it was a financial decision. I, I wanted to make sure I wasn't going to be in a whole lot of debt. But you know what I did when I was community college? I worked harder than a lot of other people there. A lot of other people, maybe, period. I, I, was, I did something that I didn't even see anybody else really doing. I was in that library every single day. If, you know, I didn't hang out at all in like the areas that all the other kids hung out in. I remember my first semester in community college, I was in a geography class. I was the youngest person in the class. I was 18. There were some parents in there. There were some older folks in there as well. And frankly, look, everybody has their own lives. So it's not like I'm any smarter than anybody else. But 
I told you, like I said a moment ago, I really applied myself in my classwork really hard. And from going to high, from high school where I didn't have great grades to that first semester, <laughs> after the end of that first semester of freshman year, not only did I have the highest grade in that geography class, but I had the highest grade in like three other classes. And I got essentially straight A's that entire semester for the first time ever in my life. You know, when I was in community college, I became like kind of like a popular person on campus because I, I then I got into the honor society before anybody else. Like, I think I was one of the first people to ever do it after the first semester uh, because my grades were that good. We did fundraisers. We, we broke records with fundraisers. I feel like I sound like a politician right now and, and like using all these superlatives right now, but and I think we know which politician I'm referring to. But anyway, the point I'm making is that the community college, I really applied myself and, and did all these internships. And then frankly, by the time I got to Rutgers, because I'd done all that work, I, I yeah, I had to humble myself a bit and say, you know what, like everybody has a story. This is something that's a, spe- a special time for everybody. So treat everybody with respect instead of kind of moving around thinking that you're all that. So yeah, I, I definitely had a, a bit of a chip on my shoulder for that. Yeah. And for sure, like sometimes when you put yourself in this uncomfortable position and this uncomfort, you end up working a lot better at the end of the day mm-hmm. because you want to get out of that position and mm-hmm. you feel like life can't get worse. So you have so much you can't lose more. So you just have yeah. to like bet on yourself and keep going. And as you mentioned, you worked harder than other people and you mentioned your internships. Can you talk a little bit more about how you ended up getting your internships and how that has affected like what industry you ended up working in? Yes, I, my first job that I ever had, I was very fortunate. I was, I was in this program called the Development School for Youth, which basically takes underrepresented kids and if you go through the, the program, you know, you have to dress up in a, a shirt and tie every, every Tuesday and then go into, it's in Newark, New Jersey. They have, a, they have one in New York City as well and a few other cities around the country. But if you, if you come in and you just show up every week and you're dressed the right way, ultimately at the end of that program, they give you an internship, a paid internship. And it was the first paycheck I've ever received. And I was fortunate because the first internship I ever had, first job I ever had was at a hedge fund. Uh, it was at a hedge fund in Jersey City, Jersey, called New Vernon Capital. It was founded by, there's a newscaster on CNN named uh, Fareed Zachariah. And this was founded by his brother. His name was Arshad Zachariah. So during that, I was 17 years old. I was still in high school. And yeah, that, not only was I just fascinated by the world of finance, I was just fascinated by earning a paycheck. That's my first time getting a paycheck. And, and sure, it wasn't a, a ton of money. But at the time, I, it, definitely, it definitely did something really special for me. And I, I met some great folks there. Some of them I'm still in touch with to this day. And it was just an incredible experience. And that, that definitely informed the other internships that I got. My mentality, and I, I think I respect both of you guys. I know, David, a little bit about your story from what we talked about. But I, I'm someone, especially during that age, who will take any opportunity where you're trying to, to figure things out. So... The, from that first internship to my last internship, and the last internship, it was like someone's dad who I knew, like a friend of mine, had, had a father who worked in a, a business in New York at Credit Suisse. And I just networked, 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 you know, kept talking about you know business, about Wall Street, asking questions. And he was kind enough to uh, let me know that they were finally accepting interns because I've been asking for years. And at the end, I was fortunate to, to get through that process get an internship there. So yeah, for anybody out there who's trying to get internships that's still in college, would definitely say that you should go through your personal network, but also 
the, the college careers website is also another really good resource because they have people there that are looking for folks that are in college, that are in your college specifically. Yeah. So that, that was important. Yeah, 100%. And one thing that I do relate to that story, I remember getting my first job the summer between junior year of high school and senior year of high school. I networked my way into a job in the construction industry. And I remember after working the whole summer, I was getting paid, not bad. And then at the end of the summer, I got a $500 bonus. And nice. even though that $500 bonus was taxed 55%, and I actually ended up getting like, like significantly less, I was so happy. I laminated that first check that I had with the bonus, and I have it yeah. hanging in my room to remind myself that like these people, not only did they like the work I did, they liked it so much they gave me a bonus. So I have that, I have that check laminated in my room, and I look at it, and it reminds me of it. And going back on what you said about interning and one thing that I tell every single person who's looking for internships is like, don't be scared to apply everywhere. You don't know what you're going to want to do just because you're majoring right now in civil engineering does not mean that you're going to end up as a civil engineer. I'm majoring right now on civil engineering. I'm working for a tech company. Like just because you have a certain degree doesn't mean that companies won't make, take a chance on you. But what you have to do is work harder to get those jobs in other industries and you shouldn't give up. And I know you yourself, you have your degree in business and you did some CS, you did some finance. Can you talk a little bit about how you were able to adapt to all those various inter internships and where you were able to pick up that missing knowledge? Yeah, I think that now is the best time to work in those types of industries and to follow that advice that you just took. And not even just like 2022, but it's now is as good a time as ever because of all that free information that's out there. For, for me and my experience, what I did was just asking questions, right? You know, reaching out to people, asking if I can go grab coffee with them, reading, you know, newspapers, watching Bloomberg, uh, watching CNBC, YouTube. Man, when I was in college, I watched every single video that Elon Musk put out. Not, I'm not even talking about put out, just like any speech that they gave. Uh, I watched every single one that Elon Musk did, everyone that Warren Buffett did. There's a person who was like one of my role models still, uh, Tristan Walker, founder of Bevel. Every video that he did, He's an entrepreneur, a startup founder, Barbara Corcoran. Like there, there were maybe five to 10 entrepreneurs or just successful business people, Bill, Bill Gates as well, that I essentially watched every single video that was out at the time from them. So I could tell you all about all their life stories and their advice and quotes from them and everything. Because whereas in my personal life, I probably didn't have people who could give me the insight on these certain markets uh, that I'd be working in or that I'd like to work in one day. I knew that there's that information out there because of the internet, you know, YouTube, especially. And yeah. So I, while all this access to information definitely has its pros and its cons, uh, I think that from an information standpoint, if you just kind of apply yourself and figure out what it is that you'd like to learn, there's so much out there. Uh, and yeah, that, that was definitely what I learned, what I, what I used. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And I think that when you have a role model, you're able to hear their story and follow their journeys and just kind of see how much work they're putting. And you get to like, if you really like them, then you see the mistakes that they made in their career. And you kind of like see that this person is a real person. Like I'm, I'm reading right now, David Goggins book, and he was talking about how when he met Michael Jordan, it kind of felt like he before he met Michael Jordan and saw him himself in person, he thought of him as like, he's not a person. But then once he met him, he just realized how much more 
of like your mind is possible of doing. And he was like talking about like overcoming that barrier. And that's something that's really important to, to realize that you're the person that you look up to, that could be you for somebody else. And you yeah. shouldn't put them on an other level than yourself because that you could become that. All you have to do is put in that same amount of work. Like for me, my role model, I really look up to Steve Jobs because of what he was able to do in the technology industry and completely revolutionize it. And he approached it from a business standpoint, not from the technology standpoint. So to me, that's exactly what I want to be doing. And I kind of saw the way that he did it. And I'm like, this is pretty cool. So it kind of shows that like, it's possible for you to do anything as long as you keep going and you just have to keep betting on yourself and talking about betting on yourselves, betting on yourself right after you were done with all your internships, you finished school, you were able to get a job for Bloomberg and you were there for about six years. How are you able to go from watching Bloomberg on the news to working there? And how did it feel? Yeah. You know, what's interesting with that is the first interview that I had there, or the, excuse me, the first interview that was like in person at the Bloomberg office, I saw Mike Bloomberg walk right past me too. So that was literally, I, I remember him walking past and, you know, I'm from New Jersey. I'm, I wasn't in the city while he was the mayor as like a resident or anything. But when I saw him walk past, I told myself, don't look at him. I, I just said, look away from him because I didn't want to get, I want to get sucked out. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you know, look, it was definitely a blessing to have that job because anytime you're in, I guess, whatever they call it, the name brand company as an employee, not only will people know what you're doing or they'll say, they'll be familiar with the, the company you work for, but also the people you get to work with, the, the colleagues that you had, they tend to be very impressive people. And that was definitely the case for my time working at Bloomberg. Yeah. It, not only did I get to work at the company that I was watching on TV, but this TV studio where they filmed the shows I used to watch was right above the desk that I used to work at. I used to see the news anchors that I used to watch on TV, getting coffee next to me every day. You know, I even became friends with uh, one of the producers from Bloomberg News. So yeah, it, it was an incredible opportunity. And yeah, it was, was definitely invaluable. And I'm, I'm very thankful for it. And i as well. Yeah. And while your days at Bloomberg, you started your first company, Afroroots, that you mentioned earlier in the yeah. episode. How are you able to manage both? Time management, it's, it's something that I take very seriously. I remember being, I guess, 20, like early 20s, early to mid 20s. And I just kind of had this revelation that, yes, there's 24 hours in a day, but at least for me and some of the people that I was around at the time, I thought, you know, we spend so much time watching Netflix, watching sports, playing video games, watching TV, being on a social media or YouTube or what have you. And while some of those things we can definitely use for our benefit and to learn, and there's plenty of applications you can use for those things, I, I found that personally... There, were, there was some optimization that I could do. Uh, there, there is some time, not even just to decompress. There's a difference between decompressing and relaxing and just all out, like wasting time, for lack of a better word. And, you know, I'm, I'm nowhere near perfect on this time management stuff. I'm, I'm definitely very much still working on this. But I at least could point out some of the things that I knew that were bigger drains on my time than others. And so what I did was after work, and frankly, I used to get up in the morning at 5 a.m. And I would just work. I would just work on, on, on the business. And it was my first time running a company. I came up with the idea because I took a trip to Nigeria, actually, to Lagos, Nigeria. And 
to go visit a friend who was a startup founder. That was the first time I ever saw anything about startups. I didn't know anything about that except for Shark Tank and whatever other TV or movie, a TV show or movie was out. But I was with my, my friend who lived in Nigeria. He's an American guy. His family's actually Jewish. And he just got this opportunity to start a company in Nigeria and lived in Lagos. So I went to go hang out with him for, like, like I said, like a month, learned a ton from him just from watching how he moved, how he handled different meetings. He included me in everything. Very generous of him to do that. And I basically kind of followed the model that he showed me and built afterwards up to a company that reached product market fit. And even now we're, we're, we're in talks to, to potentially have a buyer and everything too. And yeah, it, it, that was definitely tough. And there's another side of this that I haven't really brought up yet, right? Like I was also in a relationship at the time and there's so many things that compete for our time and things that we need to prioritize. And frankly, I think for a lot of founders, a lot of professionals in general, it's, it's hard to, to balance everything. It's, it's a challenge. And that, that kind of brings up what, what I do now at Joyfully is, you know, kind of the mental health side of it. But yeah. Afterwards was a, a definitely a great a great journey to be on. Yeah, and I think that going from startup to another startup with joyfully that we'll touch upon in a moment, I think mm-hmm. that the learning curve of like figuring out how do you sign these contracts, which lawyers are good, whether you want to be a consulting firm or not, do you guys want to be an S corp, E corp, all these mm-hmm. things. Like when I was talking to the lawyers, I was like, okay, this is what I want the this is what I want the contract to stay. I summed it up in a sentence. Mm. I get an attachment that's seven pages long. And I was oh, like, wow. wow, I would hate to be a lawyer. <laughs> that, that's why I'm happy I get to do this, interview people and hear their amazing stories. What was one mm. thing that you were able to bring from Afro Roots to where you're at right now with Joyfully? Uh, yeah, the importance of unit economics. I can't really say much more than that. The importance of just gross margin profit margins, contribution margin, just profitability and, and from the outset. Because I think with Afroroots, while I didn't explain really what that company was for, what it did, uh, basically the, the idea behind Afroroots DNA is there are a lot of people of color, especially because I was focusing on, on African-Americans that really don't know where we come from in Africa. And that's of course by design, right? They purposefully, that, that was again, by design, we have to elaborate more on that. So what Afro CNA was the first test that would actually give someone a percentage breakdown of what tribes uh, they were a part of within Africa. So having that mission in mind for Afro DNA, what I built the team, we, we built the whole supply chain basically, but frankly, that was a mission driven company, which joyfully is as well, of course. However, I didn't know all of the different aspects that went into running a business in that regard, perhaps. And really what happened was we were relying on one supplier for a lot of the operation. And yeah, again, the, the importance of unit economics and, and also not necessarily needing to rely on suppliers. Those I would say are two of the biggest revelations that I've had uh, as a result of my time with yeah. Roots. And you were also able to work with a match group and understand the way that venture capitalists work and function and kind of what they look for. And what was something that you learned working with Match Group that helped you understand like how to start your second company and ultimately become a good CEO of Joyfully? Yeah. So so actually before I started at Match Group, I was accepted into a venture capital, uh, this firm called uh, Notation Capital, 
where basically they they were looking for future founders in the New York, specifically in New York City, that were building, and they wanted to basically introduce us to a great network of investors, to founders, to people in their portfolio. And I was very fortunate to be in that program. And one of the big revelations I had, and we, we got to be in Zoom calls, just 20 people in there with like the founder of Giphy, like when you send gifts, gifts to people, right? Founder of that one, the founder of Zola, the wedding registry company. And frankly, sitting in those calls and listening to the lessons that these founders were imparting on us, it, it became really clear to me that none of what they were talking about could really be applied to AfroRoots DNA because of the business model, because it was so D to C. They were much more software focused. And that was sort of what made me interested in understanding how how do large companies handle software development and, and just you know, go to market, these types of things. So I was very fortunate to, to have gotten an opportunity to work at Match Group as a product manager while there. To answer your question about like the things I learned that relates joyfully, yeah, just kind of the development process, what engineers need, the importance of a roadmap, the importance of you know, prioritization, also some insights about the industry. I mean, look, dating apps are used by millions of people. Some of them have issues that have nothing to do with dating. Or maybe they have issues that were prompted by dating, but because they might feel a way about how they look or their age or where they live, they might feel like they don't have as many matches that are available. And honestly, when I was in the interview process of that job, a a statistic that I was thinking about was how Black women get swiped left on dating apps more than any other group, along with Asian men. So the thing I was interested in is, well, how does mental health play into this? And how are people thinking about these things? So I was very interested in that topic. And that definitely, the experience at Match Group certainly gave me the, uh, it kind of confirmed to me the importance of, uh, of mental health and a, social, a software application to doing that. So with, with my team, you know, it wasn't just me, of course, we, they kind of got things running. And, and yeah, finally, I resigned from Match Group in order to work on yeah, it's quite crazy what you were talking about, about the statistics of black women and Asian men. I, that's something I never knew. And personally, myself, I'm not on any dating apps. I'm very fortunate to be in a really happy relationship. But some of my friends that are on dating apps, they are like telling me like the statistics of over the pandemic, all these like there's it's just like all men, not that many women. And the women are not as like they're they're pretty mean to the guys there. They just like leave them. Like they don't, they leave them, but they make dates and then they end up not showing up. So it just kind of shows like this whole perspective of how like you could have one experience and then another person could have a different, completely different experience. And I feel like that's like the most important thing about being a founder of any app is like trying to figure out how everybody would interact with your platform. Because in theory, it's like a guy, a girl or on an app, they like each other, they meet. But when it's like a million guys and one girl, it's not really going to be that great of a statistic. Uh, so I think that's something that's really interesting. And I think it's really important that you are talking about mental health because that definitely affects people. And what you guys are doing with Joyfully is quite exciting and amazing and a very new industry that's very hot right now. So can you talk a little bit more about Joyfully and what makes you guys different? Yeah, the... Oh, one point that I do want to call out, just as far as the whole dating app side of things, yeah, men, as you said, they they outnumber women on these apps, and really, yeah, it's like a competition. 
maybe in dating in general, maybe that isn't just a specific to dating apps. And that's not even maybe specific to dating at all. Maybe it's, it's the same, I guess, with professionalism, with work, with startups, right? A lot of the time you're, you're just competing. And yeah, that, that's, that's an experience that some people find very uncomfortable or that uh, they, they are very uneasy with. And I also am in a very happy relationship as well. Uh, so I, I definitely am, am with you on that. What, how does that get fixed? I, I think is a problem that we can think on. Some, some smart people can kind of put their heads together and, and think on. Then think about it. If women outnumber men in America, for instance, then why are why do men outnumber women on dating apps? Are these places safe for women? There's a lot of considerations that, that need to be taken into account here. But anyway, I digress from that topic. So as far as the question was, with Joyfully, one of the big insights that we have is in regards to the loneliness epidemic. So if you think about it, during 2020, right, so many people, everybody, right, at least in New York City where I was at the time and in so many other parts of the world and the country, uh, we stayed home. We, we weren't going anywhere and we were just kind of stuck with whoever it was that was in the house with us. And if it was that if it was you by yourself, that's rough. But also there's a lot of instances where you might be with a whole family or other people and might still deal with loneliness. So one in every three Americans are lonely every single day. And loneliness in and of itself, it's not a mental health concern, or excuse me, it's not a, a mental illness, particularly. However, it does, studies show, lead to issues like depression or anxiety, and even some physical health issues like heart disease and even lower life life expectancy. So we wanted to focus on a problem that is very common, like that has a very large, we can have a large impact because many people experience it, but also one where maybe there aren't as many people focusing on that problem specifically. What do people typically do when they're lonely? They think about it, right? A lot of time what we do is we spend time on our phone, going to Instagram, YouTube. And the funny thing is that those oftentimes are the triggers or the things that we see that cause us to even be lonely to begin with. So it's like this vicious cycle where we're looking for answers from the same source that has given us the problem to begin with oftentimes. And that's not, that's not the case for everybody, but that was the case for me. And that was the case for many other people as well. So we did, starting off, did a lot of user interviews, a whole lot of surveys, got a lot more survey responses than I expected. I think we got 300 survey responses in a weekend for a little survey I made asking people about how they feel about loneliness issues like this. And from there, basically the, the idea that we had, one of the differentiators is that this thought of, you know, everybody is an expert at something. While there is a national shortage of therapists, there are only three therapists for every 10,000 Americans. So there's not nearly enough therapists for the amount of people who need therapy or the amount of even mental health workers for the amount of people who need therapy. While there's a shortage of that, there are still plenty of people that we can call uplifters, right? And uplifters, what does that mean? It's just everyday people that are willing to share their testimonies, their lived experiences, and to give words of encouragement to other people who are in the same shoes that they have been in in the past. So users, joyfully, they were in private beta right now, so it's not completely out yet, but we're basically giving users the opportunity to get words of encouragement from people who have been in their shoes before. And that's something that's pretty novel. So we want a lot of our uplifters are psychology students, people who are interested in one day maybe working in psychology. Some of them are just athletes. People are interested in sports. I had a call today, actually, with someone who works with athletes in one of the major sports leagues in America, one of the 
three largest ones. And he was talking about how a lot of the athletes in that sport, they maybe they get drafted, maybe they go on a team, but maybe they don't perform as well as they thought they would. And then they might get dropped from the team. And then what? Then these mental health issues come up. And then maybe that league has mental health resources. However, if athlete uses them or takes advantage of them, sometimes they might get labeled. This is, again, what he was telling me today. So we want to basically avail anybody who could use encouragement, daily inspiration, which is a lot of us, and basically connect them and connect us to people who understand the perspective that we're at, that we are in, understand the position we find ourselves in, and to allow them to then kind of build that connection, to feel reconnected, to feel more focused, and then to ultimately accomplish the goals that, that we set out for ourselves every day. So that's the idea behind Joy. Wow. Quite an amazing story. And we wish you the best of luck with Joyfully. Thank you so Great. much for coming on to today's podcast, Mark. And if you have something to say to the audience, and we'll put all the links to your app, hopefully it'll be out soon. So we'll update that. Um, so okay. if you guys are watching, are listening, and the app is live, it'll be in the show notes. Okay. And if there's anything else that uh, you want to say to the audience, now's your chance. Absolutely. So we have a, a link specifically for listeners to this podcast and to any, any interview we do. If you go to joinjoyfully.com uh, slash dope interviews, you'll be able to kind of skip the line on the wait list to get early access to Joyfully. And David, just wanted to give you credit once again. I know we, we got a chance to speak. And I think that what you've done in kind of taking control of your own destiny, so to speak, in your career and finding a need, right, and filling that need by creating this podcast, I, 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 I got to say hats off to you, man. Uh, for, for doing that. And I wish you and you and Levi the very best with, with your careers and if there's any, ever any way that I could help or even come back on in the future, happy to.